This is such an important theme that we want to share uh, with you uh, today. You know that we want to talk about the church. This is this group of people that God imagines that can change the world, that are not afraid to take risks, even if they might fail, and who then treat everyone like family. And if you're not part of church and you're not a Christian, you're not sure about it all, then, then we really hope that this helps you to understand a little bit about what church should be. All right, we're not always what we should be. Uh, that doesn't mean it's not true. It just means that we're human. And just like in your family, it's not perfect. It's the same in the, the wider family, the church family. You see that the Bible uses lots of metaphors and pictures to describe the church. Sometimes the church is called the bride of Christ. Sometimes it's called the, the temple, the building. Sometimes it's called the body. Uh, sometimes it's called uh, the army. And sometimes it's called the flock. So even called the field in, in, one, in one verse as well. But one, one of the uh, images, metaphors, pictures of the Bible, uh, of the church in the Bible, is as the church as a family. And that's what we want to focus on. And so in 1 Timothy 3, it says, Paul says, I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I'm delayed, you'll know how people must conduct themselves in the household or in the family of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And we're going to look at the early church in the book of Acts. And many people say to me often in my time leading church, if only our church was more like the early church in the book of Acts. And I want to say, and which bit are you reading? Because it was good, bad, and it was ugly. Just like your family and my family, that's what the church was, the early church even though they had the power of the Holy Spirit. And we saw in, two weeks ago how 3,000 people were added on the day of Pentecost. Uh, the problem is, when you only look at one bit, you only get one picture. And if you have a little quick track through the book of Acts, you'll see good, and certainly lots of good. You'll see bad, and you will see some ugly as well. And so in Acts chapter 2, that's the good for sure. In Acts 2, verse 42 to 47, you see a snapshot of the early church, and it's all good. Like they, the Bible says they met together, they loved each other, they gave to everyone as they had need. Everyone was, you know, people were joining them every day. It was all good. Sometimes it's a little bit like that's a snapshot of the early church, okay? And it's all true, but it's a snapshot. A little bit like what we do with social media is that we compare the snapshot of everyone else's family to the reality of our family, don't we? So we see other people on, on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and we see a, a snapshot of their family. We haven't seen what it took to get them to smile like that. Do you know what I mean? And the grief and the way that the kids were, do you know what I mean? You will smile for this photograph so that everyone will think we've got a fantastic family. And sometimes that's what it can be like in church. You know, I meet other ministers and, and you get the question, how's your church doing? And, and you kind of want to hold up a snapshot of all the good bits. Do you know what I mean? And that's what happens in the book of Acts. But in Acts chapter 5, you see the bad. Two of the leaders in the early church gave some money to God and then pulled it back. And it didn't end well. And then in Acts chapter 6, you see even more bad because a whole load of people are falling out because they didn't get what they thought they should have got from the leaders. It's not fair, they cried. And then between Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 15, it goes from bad to ugly as there's divisions within the early church around the question of who should be in the family and who should we keep out. And when you look at the early church, you see the good, you see the bad and you see the ugly. But God's imagination is that he imagines a group of people who can change the world and who will treat everyone like family. But how many of you know we ain't there yet? Is that right? We're on a journey. We're on a journey. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at what kind of, what kind of uh, things would mark out a healthy family. 
Before we do that, this is an important quote. The church doesn't have a social strategy. The church is a social strategy. And the reason I want to say that is that I've been really bowled over like you have by the way the community has come together around the Grenfell Tower. People of different backgrounds and different faiths and people with no faith have all come together to help. And that is fantastic and awesome. And, And may we see more of that. But I want to say something. The church is meant to be like that all the time. Not just when there's a tragedy, but all the time. And we're not like it all the time, often. But that's what we're meant to be. That's what God imagines we are to be. So how are we going to be like that? What are are some factors? Let me give you four this morning. Firstly, a healthy family. And this is true of your family or of anybody's family, but it's also true of the wider family, the church, which is what we're talking about. A healthy family puts the needs of others in front of their own. Now, in the Bible, there is a two-word phrase which repeats over 50 times. And it's the phrase, one another. And a guy called Andy Stanley, who leads a church in America, he said the primary activity of the church is one anothering one another. Okay, the primary activity of the church is one anothering one another. And so Jesus says in John 13, a new command I give you. This is to the disciples who become the early church. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. It's like he's getting a point over, isn't he? Three times in two verses, Jesus says, love one another. And to love one another, the problem is we define love by how culture defines it. And that's not how God defines it. You see, love in the Bible is not an emotion or a feeling. It's very much an action. It's a verb. It's what we do. It's about preferring one another. It's about waiting for one another. It's about helping to see what do you want rather than what do I want. That's what loving one another means. It's putting the needs of others in front of your own. I love what Francis Chan, again, a great writer, said. God's definition of what matters is pretty straightforward. He measures our lives by how we love. He measures our lives by how we love. And I call love the top button principle on your shirt. You've ever, guys or girls, I guess as well, blouse, have you ever tried to get your shirt or your blouse on quick in the morning and as you're buttoning it up, you get to the bottom and it's all, you know, it's all over the place because you didn't start right at the top. Love is the top button on the shirt. If we don't get that right, I hope mine's right now as you're all looking at my shirt, then everything else is going to go wrong. If we don't get that right, everything else is out of whack. It's the top button on the shirt. And the enemy of this is self. Self-interest, self-centeredness, selfishness. The cause of division, disunity and discord in family and in the wider family and in community is always self. It's because we're not getting what we want. We're not preferring other people. And let me give you a couple of real life examples within our church community as well, which is great, but we're not perfect. I'm sure you'd agree with that. It's not my job. But actually in a family, you don't say that, do you? It's not my job. I'm not on the list because actually a family thinks beyond that. It's not my thing. It doesn't do much for me. So what? So what if it doesn't do much for you? Do you know, let me give you an example. Recently, a couple of weeks ago when me and Alison were on holiday, uh, here, some of the guys worked really hard and put in on a new type of all-age family service called All In. We have never had so much positive feedback about a family type service and we've never had so much negative feedback. And the negative feedback was like, it's not my thing. I didn't get anything out of it. To which I want to lovingly say, so what? In a family, it ain't all about you. It's actually about other people as well. And we need to fight that kind of consumer 
kind of self-interest culture thing that comes through all of us as well. Because actually, in a healthy family, you say, do you know what? It isn't my thing. I don't get a lot out of it. But you do, and I'm in your family, and I want to help you. Because actually, we want to prefer one another. Is that all right? So a healthy family puts the needs of others in front of their own. Secondly, I want to spend a bit more time on this. A healthy family sees difference as something to embrace, not something to exclude. This is so important. Paul says in Romans 15 verse 7, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. You know, our world is all about barriers and borders right now, isn't it? We're all about walls. We're all about what divides us. You know, and so gender and age and race and politics. You know, there was never a bigger barrier in history than the barrier between Jew and Gentile. You see, the Jewish people believed that they were the chosen people of God, which they were. And it wasn't all bad because they believed they were chosen for a purpose, not just out of being favourites, but for a purpose. But what happened in their psyche was that it became a wall, it became a barrier, and they excluded everybody else. If you weren't a Jew... You know, under Jewish law, you couldn't offer to help a Gentile woman in childbirth because you'd be bringing another Gentile into the world. That's what they believed. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, the family had a funeral. Had a funeral. And um, in the Jewish mind, a Gentile, a non-Jew, was excluded from the promises of God, the society of Israel, and the future hope of glory. And God came to a point when he said, I'm not going to let this go on any longer. And so he sent Jesus. And this is what the Bible says in Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Listen, God loves unity so much that the barriers that divide people were put into the body of Christ, into his own son. So you're going to take on the sin of the world so that you can be in relationship with one another. Not just with me, but with one another. This is mind-blowing stuff. And he says his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those of you who were near. In other words, to the Gentiles and to the Jew. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. I might get a little bit excited about this, okay? Because this is so exciting. Because what he's saying is this. All of the barriers, all of the barriers between people have been broken down in the name of Jesus. What Jesus has done has destroyed the walls of hostility and difference. We are not to exclude people now. We are to embrace them regardless of what makes them different to us. And these two powerful pictures, Paul says, those who are far away have been brought near. When a rabbi spoke about someone converting to Judaism, they were said to be brought near to God. That's the phrase. And when he said destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, he's referencing the temple and all of the walls that were in the temple. And if you were at Encounter a few weeks ago, Stuart Blount, a friend of mine, came and did a great job at speaking about the temple and the walls. And if you haven't heard it and weren't here, listen to it on podcast. It's brilliant. And Jesus destroyed all the walls that divided people between Jew and Gentile, male and female, all the different tribal things. And by his death on the cross, he fulfilled all of this in himself so that you and I could be reconciled to God, but also so we could be reconciled to one another. So this family that God imagines is a family that embraces difference, doesn't exclude. 
We do not exclude. We embrace difference. And why did he do it? This is mind-blowing. He did it so that he could create one new humanity. That's what the Bible says. Now, it's important that we understand this. In Greek, there are two words for new. One is the word neos, which means new in point of time, but not new in existence. In other words, how many of you had a, mob- a new mobile phone in the last year? Okay. In the last 18 months? Two years? Yeah, loads of you have had new. Some of you are just not admitting it, but you have. Okay. Now, when we have a new mobile phone, it's new in point of time, but it's not new in existence. It's just an upgrade of the phone you had before, isn't it? And that's that word neos. But the word kainos is new, not in point of time, but new in point of existence. This has never existed before. That's the word used in the Bible. When, when God breaks down the wall between Jew and Gentile, between male and female, between black and white, he creates one new humanity that's never existed before. I think that's amazing. And listen to a, an early church father put it this way. This really helps. It's like he melted a statue of lead and melted a statue of silver and got a statue of gold. That's incredible. And so if there's difference between you and someone else, that's not something to exclude. That's something to embrace. Because that's what God imagines the church family should really be like. He gave us access to the same Father. He presents us both as one to the same Father. I think that's amazing. Listen, consequently, Ephesians 2 verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household or family built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We hear so much, and I don't mean to be political, and hopefully I'm not. We hear so much these days about taking control of our borders and about immigration and about residency and all of that. And I understand all that, and we've got to do all that, and that's important. But can I say, if you were a foreigner in Israel in the time of Jesus, it was not nice. It was not nice. But when Jesus broke the wall, he broke all that down, and he said, when you come into faith, you come into a new family where you are not there because of your passport, but you're there because of your birth certificate. Because actually you now belong as much as anybody else. Isn't that amazing? And so I look out over this morning and I see different cultures and different colours and different diversities. And that really thrills my heart because that's a snapshot of what God imagines his family to be. Isn't it? And so we want to embrace difference. We don't want to exclude. I love what Rick Warren said. The church is not a belief system. It's a belong system. Primarily, it's a belong system. And so if you were not born in this country, if you would say your ethnicity is not British, can I just say in this family, you belong as much as anyone else. Because God is making us one new family. We've been reconciled to God and we've been reconciled to one another. And we are richer because you're here. Now, I was born in Stourbridge. I was born in England. Anyone not born in England? Where were you born? Tell me. Anyone? Ghana. Anyone else? Shout it out, brother. Congo. Bulgaria. Woohoo! Shout it. Italy. Austria. Keep going. USA. No, we draw that. No, we're not. I'm only joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. But see, isn't that amazing, isn't it? And we did it at the first service, and there was loads of other different countries. And what I want to say to you guys is that this is about theologically we can get it but we've got to get it experientially as well 
And that means talking to people who are not like us. It means sitting next to people who are not like us. It means learning from people who are not liking us, who are not, who are not like us. It means, it means embracing people who are not like us. And when we do that, we become richer and we grow stronger and we become a f- prophetic symbol and a prophetic voice to our nation, which is so divided. We, we imagine a family. And you see, when we do that, we also can accomplish much more together than we ever can apart because together we can. Number three, a healthy family doesn't allow conflict to break up the family, but to build the family. You need to put some lights on me, someone. Okay, because I can't see a thing. A healthy family doesn't allow conflict to break the family up, but actually to build the family up. And here's a Bible verse in Colossians 3. Bear with each other and forgive one another. I forgive you, brother. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now listen, I want to get real. In every family there's conflict, am I right? In a church family, there's conflict. I was reading on the, on the net about some of the church conflicts that are around and was just staggered at some of them. Like the appropriate length of the worship leader's beard is a cause of contention in one church. You know, that, that, that there was a dispute in one church about which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. I think, oh my gosh. And that happens because we are human. How do we handle the inevitable conflict that living in family brings? Well, we don't deny We don't pretend and say, everything's fine, we never fall out. We don't sweep it under the carpet. Some families do. They have family secrets. We don't do that. Because if you sweep stuff under the carpet too long, eventually you'll trip over it. We don't do that. We don't simmer and stew. And we don't explode and vent. You know, like sometimes when we've all been there, let me give you a piece of my mind. In love, it's not in love. If you say, let me give you a piece of my mind, it ain't ever in love. We don't do that. How do we do it then? Well, we give each other grace and space. The Bible says we bear with one another. So we give grace and space when there's conflict. We also, we address issues in a constructive and a respectful way. We talk it out. If you don't talk it out, you'll end up working it out. If you don't talk it out, you'll end up working it out. And thirdly, we offer the gift that God has given us, forgiveness. When we fall out and we will, we give grace and space We talk it out and we offer the gift that God has given us. And let me just address an issue for us as a church, if I can, just for a few moments. This is the classic one that comes up in this church and every church on the planet. And it's this one. The music is too loud. Let me just speak into that for a few moments. Firstly, it is impossible to please everyone all of the time. You know that? For as many people who say to us the music is too loud, we get others that say it's not loud enough. And then I had some revelation over the weekend. I've been speaking this issue all of my adult life. (laughs) And I had some revelation. Where else on the planet would you go where you're involved with music and and yet you have so many completely different perspectives, likes and preferences about music? See, when you go to a gig of your favourite band, you'll never say it's too loud because you don't care because you love that music. Or maybe if you're not going to a gig, you go to a concert. Or maybe if you're very highbrow, it's a recital. Whatever it is, okay, you choose to go to listen to a certain kind of music that you like. But in church, we all come together from all different backgrounds, with all different likes, and there's only one kind of music. So that in itself will set up conflict. It's very, very subjective. But can I just say something? We take this really seriously and we work really hard to try and get it as best as we can. We recognise some of you have hearing related issues and, that's, and we, 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 we understand that, but it's very difficult. But we understand also that preference is a massive piece in this whole thing. 
And we're trying really hard. We're also in a temporary venue here, which is very low ceiling and very hard to get right. The music is very different in different parts of the building. We're trying really hard, but let's give each other grace and space. We should never let things like this break us up. They should always build us up. Amen. And can I just say one practical thing? If you've got anything to say about the music, please don't go and speak to those guys over there. They do a fantastic job week in, week out. They're volunteers. They work really hard. Thank you. Thank you. If, if you've got anything to comment, please come and speak to me, okay? Or speak to Simon. We want to stand in the middle of that because it's not fair to have people go in and say in their preference to those guys who do so well. But you know, the way we're going to handle this is by grace and space, talking it out, offering each other the gift that God has given us, which is the gift of forgiveness. And then we're going to let these things build us up, not break us up. Amen? Fantastic. And the last thing that I want to share is, is a healthy family doesn't pull up the drawbridge, it extends the table. I love this kind of thought. In 1 Peter 4 verse 9, 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. The NLT says, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Anyone got a table that extends out, one of those leaves? Yeah, we have as well. And I love it when we can extend it out. Because it means that we're, we're, offering, we're, we're opening up, we're extending for someone else to come and sit around our table. And the Bible says that hospitality is an incredible gift that the family of God should be extending, not just to our immediate family or our friends, but to other people as well. Jesus came along and Jesus says in a parable in Matthew 25, and he said, hey, I, came, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And he says to others, I was a stranger and you didn't welcome me. In other words, you guys pulled up the drawbridge. You guys extended the table. That's the kind of people that God imagines the church will be. I want to invite the band to come back up. What does it mean to, to imagine a group of people who treat everyone like family? What does it, what, what, what does it mean to, to, extend, to, to extend the table, to offer hospitality? Well, it means simply invite someone to your house for a meal. How rocket science is that? But it also means extend by sitting next to other people, talking to other people, inviting someone else to the cinema with you rather than just your mates. Going out on a day and inviting others who you don't normally invite. Extend the table. You know, it's incredible that in this church we, we have so many people who've extended their family. Blows my mind. Through adoption and through fostering and through respite care. You know, regularly. I mean, it, it, it's an incredible thing. I can't tell you how many. It's over 30 children, young people we have in this church who, who their family has been extended to them. Because people have extended their table. They haven't pulled up the drawbridge. But it isn't just about adopting or fostering. It's more than that. It's about how we live our life, isn't it? And here's the thought that I want to leave you with. In a moment now, we're going to take communion. This is where God has extended His table for you and for me. This is where God demonstrated that He wasn't going to pull up the drawbridge because of my sin and your sin. But He was going to extend His table. And he was going to invite you and invite me to come and sit around his table as if we were one of his natural sons and he's only got one. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? And we're going to eat and drink. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the, the service to come and they're going to serve you the bread and the juice. And I want to ask you this morning, can you hold on to the bread and hold on to the cup? Don't eat it, don't drink it, because it'd be awesome this morning if we could do it together. Do it together, okay? So they're going to come now if they can, guys, if you can. And they're going to hand it out to you. And um, just hold on to it and just reflect and say, 
This is a symbol that represents what Jesus has done for me. This is the fact that he didn't pull up the drawbridge, he extended the table. I'm different. You know, and yet he, he has said, hey, I want you to sit around my table as if you're one of mine. Forget the, forget the passport, you've got a birth certificate. That's amazing. And as we do this, I want you to also think, is there somebody that you know you're not in great relationship with right now? Maybe you've put a wall between you and them. Maybe this is a moment when you could say, God, would you help me to break down that wall? Would you help me to extend the table, not to pull up the drawbridge? And the guys are going to come. If you can just start giving it out, folks, please. And just take the bread and hold on to it and take the juice. And then we'll come back. We'll take it together. And then we're going to sing a song which you've got to sing on Father's Day. Good, good father. Because that's who he is, isn't it? He's a good, good father. And on a day like today, with so much mixed emotions around in our society and our culture we want to celebrate who God is this morning so just take the bread take the juice hold on to it and then I'll come back and we'll eat and drink together